If you don't have a Bible, you can. there should be one in some of the backs of the seats. If not, I think we've got a couple sitting around the room. Um, does anybody need one? Raise your hand if you need one. Don't have a Bible. Nobody next to you. All right. Hey, what book are we jumping into tonight? Philippians. Philippians. Uh, let's try that again since I've already given you the answer. What book are we starting tonight? Philippians. Philippians. That's right. Um, every once in a while, we'll walk through a book of the Bible. Sometimes it takes us a short amount of time. Sometimes it takes us longer, depending on how long that book is, because we want to make sure we don't miss anything that's going on in these passages. But, but before we get into this tonight, before we start asking some of the questions that I tend to ask you when we start a new book, I want to ask you, does anybody in here have any clue, idea, thought as to what the main idea of this book is? Mr. Timmy. That's absolutely right. You're correct. And, and what's, what's the overarching theme? What is the main idea? Like if you read this entire book, what's the one thing that keeps coming to the surface in this book? Does anybody know? Just take a guess. What's that? I hear. Hi, hi, hi. Say it. To encourage them. He did write it to encourage them. You're right. Any other guesses? God is in there. Absolutely. Kenna? To teach them? Yes, he's trying to teach them. Miss Crosby, what did you say? Joy. It was whispered into your... Who whispered that into your ear? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to call out any adults in that one. You're absolutely right, though. Joy. Joy is the overarching... You guys know what a theme is, right? A main idea, like you've read a passage at school and you've had to say, here's the main idea. That's, that's what Paul has done as he's walked through this. He comes back over and over. You actually find, guys, hey, as you read through this book, there's four chapters in this book. And as you read through this book, he talks about joy or some form of that word 16 different times. So he's writing this book and he's talking about this idea of joy because this idea of joy affects everything else. What he keeps coming back to is he's telling the people, hey, if you're going to have joy, no matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on in your life, you have got to have Jesus as the center of everything that you do and everything that you are. And if you will do that, if you will focus on that, then you will have joy. Now, let me make a distinction. He's not talking about happiness because there's a lot of things in this world that make us happy. Fresh, baked, out of the oven, warm chocolate chip cookies make me happy. Okay, but there's days when I don't get those, so I'm not as happy. But I can still have joy, even though I don't get chocolate chip cookies. That's, what's that? It's, it's true, we have, we have those cookies a lot in our house, because I like them so much. But there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is dependent upon our emotions. It's dependent upon our circumstances. But the joy that Paul keeps coming back to here, that's not dependent on what's happening to us. That's not dependent upon how we feel about what's going on in our life or our world. That joy is something deeper that lives within inside of us, lives within us, inside of us, when we've got Christ at the center of our lives. So now, as we start this book, I want to ask you some questions. And if you paid attention, I've already given you the answer to some of these questions. How many chapters are in this book? Okay, a couple of you paid attention. Who wrote this book? <clears throat> Paul. And it's believed with the help of Timothy. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. When do we believe this book was written? 
Oh, she's got it in her Bible right there. Awesome. Yeah, you're right. Around A.D. 61 to 62 is when we believe this book was written. Our, our, our best dating process puts it around there. Does anybody know where it was written? What's that? Who said prison? Did you say prison? Okay, you guys remember, I've told you this before. If somebody asks you where a book was written by the Apostle Paul, Nine times out of ten, if you say prison, you're probably going to be correct. Whoa, that got really loud really quick. Because Paul, believe it or not, spent a lot of time in prison because he would not shut up about who Jesus was. And even when he was threatened, he persisted in telling people about Jesus Christ. So yes, we believe that he was in prison. Do you know where he was in prison? Rome breathes like, I got this. He was, we believe he was in Rome in prison. This is also around the same time that he wrote the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. So there's a couple different, what we call books. These were actually letters that were written at the time that he was in these settings. Does anybody know who he wrote it to? I want, to, I want to let you guys in on a little secret. Y'all, y'all give it up for Bree. She's got the answers here. Let me let you in on a little secret. There are some Bibles, and it's just straight Scripture. It gives you the verses that are there. There are some Bibles that give you like a little synopsis of who wrote it and when they wrote it and why they wrote it and who they wrote it to. All of these questions that I answer. It matters that we know the answers to those questions. Because as we dive into a book of the Bible... We want to make sure that we're understanding in context what was going on when that book was written. We want to know what was happening in the life of the early church, in the life of the person that was writing it, so that we can understand what it meant for them during that time and then what the implications are for us. Because we we don't live around 61 or 62 AD. We live in a completely different society than these people lived in, but there's still implications in what Paul wrote here that apply to our lives. So that's who he wrote it to. Why did he write it? And we've already heard this answer once. That's the theme. Why did he write it? What's that? To encourage believers. That's exactly right. He wrote it to encourage these believers in Philippi, and he's encouraging them, remember, the gospel of Jesus must be the center of your life because that is the only way joy will be a consistent part of your life. It's a constant reminder that no matter what, the gospel has to be the focus of everything. And and let's be real for a minute. It's very easy for us to put our focus on other things besides Jesus. I mean, think about the busyness of your own lives. You know, depending on what you're involved in, you may have school, you may have band, you may have sports, you may have jobs, you've got family time, you've got times for your friends. And, And let's not forget, those of you who have social media, the countless hours you spend on that. In fact, this past weekend, while we had the long break, we watched a movie in our house on Netflix. Has anybody seen this movie? It's called The Social Dilemma. Anybody seen this? A couple of you. Okay. It's PG-13, so if your parents don't let you watch PG-13 movies or you have to get permission, I highly recommend you get permission. But here's what that movie, I'm going to give you a It's a documentary, so I'm not spoiling anything for you, okay? But here's what that movie's about. That movie is about... They interviewed all of these people who were on like the ground level process of building all of these social media platforms and how they were made and how they were geared to do everything they can to get more and more and more of your time. 
to the fact that now that they've done studies of people who have used these things, and what they've done is they've looked at when, when teenagers around, I think it was what, around 2010, 2011, um, is really when these platforms started to take off, and they've done studies, and the rate of depression in teenagers skyrocketed since social media became available on cell phones. And, and the rate of suicide in teenagers has skyrocketed since the introduction of social media on cell phones. And the reason I say that, guys, number one, you should go watch the movie because it's, it's very revealing about what people are trying to do to get you to keep pulling that thing out every time it buzzes and get more and more of your attention. But it's important because what happens, all of those statistics tell us that that is stealing people's joy. That even people who say, I'm a Christian and I put my faith and trust in Jesus, they're letting the perceived better life of someone else depress them to the point that they're willing to give up their life. And what Paul is writing here in this book is he's saying, joy only comes when your focus is on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you will keep him at the center of every part of your life, remember, he wrote this to believers. He didn't write this to people outside the church who didn't know the gospel. He wrote it to people who have been in church, who have said that they are believers, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. This is who he's talking to. He's saying, don't let Christ slip out of being the center of your life because it's easy for every one of us to do. So that's what's happening this is the book that we're stepping into. This is what Paul is trying to communicate. So let's look at the first two verses tonight. Now I promise we're not only going to cover two verses every single week. We're going to pick up and pick up a little bit of steam as we start going into next week. But tonight, verses 1 and verse 2. So even though it's a small passage of Scripture, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word and follow along as I read these two verses. It says this, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that we are here now that we have this time to focus on your word. God, help us, help us to be different when we leave here tonight. God, help us to know the joy from this book because we know the joy that comes from a life centered on Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So we're just going to walk through these two verses, and we're going to break it down a little bit because I want you to know kind of what's happening here. Paul is doing these first two, these first two verses. This is like an introduction. It's like you walking up to somebody and saying, hello, my name is, fill in your name, and hey, I'm glad to meet you. That's basically what Paul is doing here. But we can have a better understanding of who this guy is and a little bit about what's going on if we walk through this. So let's talk about Paul. Does anybody know what he used to be called before we knew him as Paul in Scripture? Saul. And what did Saul do? Persecuted Christians. So we've got this guy by the name of Paul. He used to go by Saul. And his job, he was, he was what they called a religious zealot. His job was to go after these people that called themselves Christians. So that would be like anybody in here who says you're a Christian. Paul's job, Saul at the time, would have been to come after you, to put you in prison, and probably had you killed. Simply because you said you believed in Jesus. That's who Paul was when he went by Saul. 
In fact, he was in the middle of doing this. He was on a road, it's called the road to Damascus. He was on this road. He was traveling to find Christians, to put them in chains, to put them in prison, probably to lose their lives. And it was on that trip that he encountered Jesus Christ. And right then and there on that trip, the focus of his life changed. All of a sudden, instead of being this religious zealot who was determined to wipe out Christianity, he became this man who put Jesus Christ at the center of his life, and it changed everything about him. Paul went on to start numerous churches. In fact, most of the letters that we have in the New Testament that were written by Paul, those are letters that he wrote to churches that he planted. And there's 13 different books or letters that we've got in here that he wrote. But because of his willingness to keep Christ at the center of his life, this is a guy who writes about joy all over this book. This is the same guy who was beaten. This is the same guy that was put in jail. He was shipwrecked. He was, beat, he was uh, bitten by a snake. He had problem after problem after problem after problem after problem because he was pursuing Christ and telling everybody he could about Jesus. And that's the guy writing about joy and how you can have joy in every circumstance, in every situation. That's who's writing this book. We need to bear that in mind as we walk through this. And then he talks about Timothy right there. Timothy is what you would call Paul's son in the faith. It was not his physical son. They weren't related. But Timothy is somebody that, that Paul took and discipled and trained him. We, we find out in Scripture that Timothy actually had a mom and a grandmother that taught him about who God was. And then Paul took on what they taught him and discipled him further and encouraged him, took him on missionary trips with him. And actually, there's a couple books in the New Testament that Paul addressed to and wrote to Timothy. Can you guess what those books are? There's two of them. Yeah, First and Second Timothy. Okay, pretty straightforward, right? But that, that's who Timothy is. So he says, Paul and Timothy, and he says that they are servants of Christ Jesus. Servants, the original word in the Greek there is doulos. Say that with me. Doulos. It's just, I just think it's a cool word to say. You'll probably never use it again in your life. But that's what that word means. That word means servant. But it's not the servant like we think about. We, we think about servants as someone who's doing something for someone else, but they really don't want to be there. And they're doing it kind of because they have to. But this word that, that Paul is using here, this is describing something completely different. This is a willing participant in serving someone else. This means you are there because you desire to be there. Because you are choosing to put yourself in that position of being a servant. And that's what he's saying right here. He's saying we are servants of Jesus Christ. Being a servant is not a celebrated position. It wasn't popular to be a servant then, and we don't think of it as a popular thing now, but that is exactly what Jesus taught his disciples that they were supposed to be. Scripture even tells us that Jesus did not come into the world to be served, but to serve. In fact, if you come on Sunday nights, that's what we've been talking about. It's, it's a study called Jesus on Leadership but Jesus' leadership style was to serve other people, whether he got the glory or not. The good thing is Jesus is always going to get the glory in the end. So if you'd like to learn more about that, show up this Sunday night, 5 o'clock, right here in this room. Love to have you. But that's what he's talking about right here. And then he goes on in that same verse. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Saints. You want me to teach you another word? 
You ready? Yeah, I like your enthusiasm. The original word here for saints is hagios. Say that with me. Hagios. I challenge you to work that into a sentence tomorrow at school. Dare, okay? Like, like triple dog dare you. I'm going Christmas story straight to the end, all right? Hagios, I want to see you work that. Here's what that word translated means, and this is why it's going to be hard for you to, to work it into the right meaning. That word translates to holy ones. Now work that into a sentence the right way. But that's what he says here. He says to the saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, what Paul is doing here, listen up. He's calling these believers, these disciples of Jesus, he's saying, you are holy ones. And you've been made holy, not because there's anything special about you. You've been made holy because of your faith in Jesus Christ. They weren't holy on their own. Holy means to be perfect, sinless, blameless. They couldn't do that any more than we can. The only reason that Paul can look at them and say, or write to them and say, you are saints, is because they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, Scripture says, through the righteousness of God, we are made holy. Because of who God is, not because of who we are. And, and that, that matters for us because the same is true for us today. If you sit here tonight and you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I know I was a sinner. I know I needed forgiveness. And I asked God to forgive me of my sin. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection. If you say that's who you are tonight, then your identity, who you are, it's not defined by what you do or what you have done. This tells us right here, you've been identified through Christ as holy, and that should change the way that you see yourself. Because who you are is not defined by you when you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Who you are is defined by God. And if you've put your faith and trust in Him, that means you're a saint. You're set apart. You are holy in the eyes of God. And now you have the opportunity to live that out in front of everyone. Again, not because you're something special but because God is. And you get the opportunity to show people who God is. And the best part of that is that you don't do that by yourself. It's, it's scary to take a stand at school and say, I'm a Christian. And, and I'm not going to talk certain ways and I'm not going to do certain things and I'm not going to laugh at certain things because of the way that I believe, because I know who God is and I know who God has called me to be and it's to be set apart and to be holy, not because I'm special, but because of who God is. It is hard to take that stand when you feel like you are all by yourself. But if you are sitting in here tonight, there are others in this room who are in the same boat that you are. They also say they are disciples of Jesus. They are also set apart and called to be holy. And, and Paul didn't write this and say to the saint at the church of Philippi. He said to the saints which means we all get to do this together. That means we have each other to rely upon. We have each other to stand with when it comes to living out the life that God has called us to live out. That is the best part about this. 
We don't ever do it alone, even when you think you're alone. Guys, one of the coolest things about going to FCA at your school, typically on Friday mornings, then if you don't know where that is or what time they meet, come talk to me after tonight and I'll tell you where they are. That is one of the coolest things about see you at the pole. You are going to see people gathered that you had no idea were Christians. How encouraging would that be to walk up to a flagpole and for people to see you and you and you and you and you and other people in this room and other people from Bible teaching churches in this area and realize that there are other Christians around you every single day and you can stand together for God right where you are. Now, that comes with the flip side of if you're going to stand there and you're going to say, hey, I'm a Christian, then you should probably live it out. And that's what he's trying to encourage them to do. What he's telling them, the same thing holds true for us. And then he goes on, he says to all the saints, excuse me, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Philippi, show that map up there. Just in case you wondered, this is where Philippi was. Okay? Right there next to Italy. And if you look at where Philippi is, it was on the main road, like trade route, the main land route going from Rome over to Asia. So Philippi had a pretty important role in its location. In fact, it was, it was a prosperous area. It was somewhere around 168 BC that Philippi became, a Roman, became part of the Roman Empire, which means they had some rights and some privileges there. And it was proper, prosperous because of its location, but it was also known because it had an abundance of springs and an abundance of gold. So pe- people wanted to come through this town. It was an important place to go through. And it was here, this church at Philippi, that Paul planted the first church in Europe. Like first church in this entire area, this is the church that Paul planted. He did that somewhere, I think in Acts 16, it tells us that was somewhere around AD 49 to 50. So Paul is writing this letter somewhere 11 to 12 years after he planted this church. He's done what God called him to do there. He's gone away. He's been on missionary journeys. And now he's in prison. But his heart still longs for this church. So he's writing to them to encourage them. And even though this town was significant, even though the people of this church, um, that there were people in this church, you need to understand that this was not a wealthy church. Even though there were lots of springs and there was lots of gold, this wasn't a rich church. We find that out later in this book because Paul makes a big deal about the fact that they've sent him a gift of money and they didn't really have the ability to do that. But that's how important Paul was to what they were doing. These were people that were persecuted. These were mostly Gentiles. And if you don't know what that means, it's the the Jewish people, the Israelite nation, those are the ones, the nation to which Jesus was born into. Jesus was Jewish. And yet so many of the Jewish people rejected Jesus. Gentile was anybody who was born outside of the Jewish nationality. So this church would have had a few Jewish people in it, but it mostly would have been people who didn't grow up around these teachings. It would have been people who didn't grow up around Scripture and know who God was supposed to be in their lives. So these are people who at some point in their lives heard the gospel of Jesus and said, that's what's true. And that's what I'm going to put my faith and trust in. So now they're living in a country that is not Jewish, a country that does not support what they believe, and they're trying to live this out. And Paul is trying to say, hey, let me encourage you. 
In fact, as we'll read later in this book, we also find out that this church was under attack by false teachers. There's a lot of things going on as we step into this book. But he writes this to the saints who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. This is distinct to this book because this is the only letter that Paul wrote that includes a reference to church leaders. Typically, he just writes to the entire church. But here he says to the saints, to the believers, oh, and the church leadership. We don't know exactly why he did that. One speculation is that later in this book, we're going to find out there was a division. There was an argument going on in the church. And it's possible he singled them out because they're going to have to be involved in settling that argument. We don't know that for sure. That's just what one, one theologian believes. But either way, it, it's notable that that's the only time that he ever mentions that. And then he jumps into verse 2 and he says this. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Grace is the unmerited favor or undeserved favor of God in the life of a believer. Using this word right here, this is a reminder that that any relationship that these church people had, these, these believers had with God is because God is the one that made it possible. Because when we look at Scripture, Scripture tells you and I that we are sinners and we cannot earn our way to God. You can't go to church enough. You can't sing the right songs. You can't give enough money. You cannot work your way to heaven because of our sin. And yet God created us to have a relationship with him. Every single person in this room, you long for a relationship. You long to be known. You long to be loved. And what happens nine times out of ten is we try to fulfill that longing with other people around us. And yet the only relationship that is ever going to fulfill that missing piece of you is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he says this grace right here, this grace is something that we don't deserve. It's not something that we can earn. It is God looking at sinful humanity and saying, I love you despite your sin. I love you despite the things that you do that don't honor me. And I want a relationship with you, so I'm going to step into humanity and I'm going to provide a way for you to be forgiven so that you can be made holy and righteous. That's what grace is. It's you and I getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we do deserve. He's reminding these believers about who they are in the eyes of God. Because when you realize the extremes that Jesus went to so that we could be forgiven, the beating, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, those are extremes that we can't do. And yet that's exactly what he did for these believers and for every one of us that would put our faith and our trust in him. That's what grace is. But he says, grace to you and peace. (laughs) Peace is what you have as a result of receiving God's grace. It's knowing that you belong to God no matter what happens in your life. No matter what goes wrong in your family, 
no matter what happens if a parent loses a job or your parents split up or you have to move or somebody passes away that you just can't imagine life without them there, no matter what happens, there's a peace because you know that God holds you in his hand and God has a plan for your life. And that gives you joy. And that is what Paul is talking about all over this book. And that's what you and I as disciples of Jesus can have. That joy that Paul will speak of over and over and over through these four short chapters. That joy comes from knowing that you are forgiven and you are loved. So my question for you tonight is this. Do you have that joy? I'm not asking if you're happy. Because you might have been 10 minutes ago and you're not now or vice versa. Happiness changes. I'm talking about joy. That you know you belong to God no matter what happens in your life. That you know that Christ is the goal, is the center of everything that you are. If you're here tonight and you say you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then that joy should be part of your life. If it's not... What have you let steal your joy? Is it problems at school, problems at home, social media and what you think everybody else's life is like? Don't let those things steal your joy. Take your focus and put it back on Jesus in every area of your life. And if you're here tonight and that's a struggle for you and you want somebody to pray for you, I ask you to do this. Take one of those orange or yellow cards and write that down. Say, this is stealing my joy and whatever that is for you. Please pray for me to focus on Christ. Or use your own words. And when we stand up and when we sing, take that card, fold it, drop it right there in that basket. I will pray for you. If you put your name on it, I'm going to pass it on to the adult life group leader that's in this room that would work with your group so that they can pray for you. That God will give you what you need to focus on Christ. If you're here tonight and you don't have that joy because you don't have a relationship with God, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You need to know there will be times in your life where you are happy and you are unhappy but when you have a relationship with Jesus, you can always have joy in your life, no matter what you're facing. And if you're here tonight and you want to know what a relationship like that looks like, or you've got questions about that, or you're ready to take that step and put your faith and trust in Jesus, when the music starts, I'm going to be standing right over here in this corner on that wall. It's not a corner. Come talk to me because I would love to show you what God's word says about how much he loves you and how he wants a relationship with you because he wants you to know that you can have his peace and his grace and his joy. Let's pray.